It's a dangerous thing. Uh, Job chapter 19. If we were to have an afternoon service next week, this is what I would be preaching. Job chapter 19. The guy we're, we're reading about in the book of Job, really, I think one could make the argument that he suffered more than anybody else in the Bible except maybe Jesus. I mean, he suffered. He, he, he really had some terrible things happen. But that's not really what this message is about. This message is about how he kept himself from just falling off the deep end. Where was his hope? When he looked at, uh, at the life and that, had, that he had had before, and he saw that it had all been taken from him, his children dead, his wealth and his animals gone, his wife leaving him in his most horrible uh, moment of misery, and everybody just generally making him miserable, including his friends. How did he endure? Now, many times it's easy for us to get down on our own circumstances and and really complain and feel down in the dumps. And when that time comes, we really should look to a guy like Job, who had a wonderful testimony. This passage in Job 19, we're going to read verse 21 through 27. And then we're going to look at four different things I see in this text uh, that that really uh, speak to... uh, what we ought to hold true as a believer. Verse 21. Oh, I'm in Mark. That's not where I want to be. Job chapter 19. Job chapter 19, verse 21. He says to his friends, have pity on me. Have pity upon me. Oh, you my friends, for the hand of God has touched me. Why do you persecute me as God and are not satisfied with my flesh? Oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book that they were graven with an iron pen and lead in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth, and though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'll just help this message to be clear to us. Help us to see how uh, precious these truths that are revealed for us are and help us to center ourselves on them. This morning I talked about how the cross is to be uh, the, the center of who we are that should be something that is uh, something on our mind frequently, something we should live by, that, that Christ died on the cross for our sins and we have a new life. Lord, we... we, we should understand also that that is how Job lived, that he saw that the, what Christ had done for him was something worth living for, regardless of how difficult his circumstances were. Help us to draw near to these truths. Help us to be encouraged. And Lord, help us to grow. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. As I said, four different things I see in this passage that I just I want to see if I can uh, uh, get out of this. The first promise that I see is that we are never alone. Man, isn't that a good thing to realize that we're never alone? I mean, Job, think about Job's situation. He'd been deserted by everyone except these three uh, 
it's kind of hard to identify these guys at friends, as friends because they weren't really friendly to him. Uh, his, his children had been killed in a horrible natural disaster. His wife deserted him in his darkest hour. His servants had taken the opportunity to find uh, uh, employment elsewhere. And earlier chapters tell us about how the people in town had once, who he'd once been friends with now laughed at him. And the kids were uh, teased him and were throwing rocks at him. I mean, he's having a horrible reality here now. And the only human companionship that he had left were these three guys, Eliphaz and Zophar and Bildad. And these men who had once been friends are now his tormentors. They, they came to badger him uh, with unfounded accusations, not to bring him any comfort. And at a time when he most needed his friends, these three guys only added to his misery. But contrary to what they believed... Job did not believe he was alone. Job had a redeemer. I, I love how he describes him as my redeemer. Verse 25, he says, For I know that my redeemer liveth. He had a redeemer. That word redeemer is a Hebrew word that also could be translated in, in a few different ways. It could be kinsman or, or a nearest relative. Uh, but no family member is closer to us than Jesus Christ. I mean, think about that. I have two brothers, and I, I have three sons, and I'm close to these guys. I, uh, I, I was driving uh, yesterday to go make a visit, and, and, and in that drive, I couldn't help but think about my sons just constantly, thinking about how much I love them, and man, I enjoy my time with them. I, I'm very close to these guys, but there's no one that's closer to me than Jesus, even when I don't feel close to him. He's, he, is, he is with me. We're never alone, despite uh, what our circumstances may show. At this point, Job didn't have a family. I mean, his wife was not there for him anymore, but he had his Redeemer. Uh, he was looking forward to a time to when Jesus would voluntarily become the older brother of all of those who would believe in him. Uh, the, 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 because of our trust in Jesus, we can call God our Father now. Uh, our earthly family might do a lot of things uh, that embarrasses us. Uh, they might even desert us like they had deserted uh, Joe. His wife had Devoted, uh, kind of deserted him, uh, but not Jesus. Hebrews 2.11, it says, For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, but which, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Uh, Jesus is willing to be our brothers. He calls us brothers. In Matthew 28.10, I, I was uh, reading earlier this week and came across this verse, and it struck me with the context in Matthew 28, Jesus has risen, and, but all his disciples didn't yet know it, and they didn't realize that he was alive, and so what did they do whenever Christ was on the cross? They fled. They ran away. They hid themselves. They were scared to death of what was going to happen to them from the Jews and the Romans. I mean, they, they fled. They, they abandoned him. But listen to what he says in Matthew 28.10. Then Jesus said unto them, Be not afraid, go tell my brethren. Hey, they had abandoned him, but he had not abandoned them. Uh, go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. For Paul in Romans 8.35, such a, pa a powerful passage, uh, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That's what Paul asks. And we know the answer. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. And no one. 
Uh, if, you, if you go through that passage through the end of that chapter, you'll see there's nothing that Paul is convinced can separate us from uh, the love of Christ. And, and there's nothing uh, that we need to be afraid of that is going to separate us. We're never alone when we've trusted Christ. He chose us as a member of his own family and will never be separated from him as our Redeemer. That word Redeemer also could mean vindicator. It's not something we talk about often in our American culture to be vindicated. But uh, it's kind of an interesting word. It, it has the basic meaning of like an acquittal in a, in a court of law. And all the, all the false charges against Job were going to be set aside and his innocence would be declared to all. The vindicator is the defense lawyer who clears his client of any guilt. Jesus is our vindicator. Jesus was Job's vindicator and he realized that. He said, my Redeemer lives and someday he is going to vindicate me and prove my innocence. His life, his death, his resurrection enables God to declare all believers not guilty. Man, how good is that? Well, y'all are almost awake. Come on, wake up a little bit. Not guilty. I mean, think about this in the court of God and you stand in the court of God innocent. Not because of you, not because you're such a great guy or great gal, but because Jesus Christ is your redeemer. He's your vindicator. He's your advocate. He's right there, ready to make sure that God sees you as completely innocent. And God, Jesus being God, has no problem convincing God the Father that either. He did it through his own blood. Because of the redeemer, Job is a righteous man. Uh, all the sins these friends had been accusing him of, well, they had no basis in fact. He knew that his vindicator would clear him of all of the charges. And on the other hand, we're guilty, and God knows it. Uh, by taking the penalty upon himself, though, Jesus has declared us as not guilty. And the charges against our name has been cleared. Amen. Second thing I see is uh, that we have hope. Man, what hope do we have? Uh, he says in verse 25, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth, and though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see, whom I shall see for myself in mine eyes shall behold, and not another. He gives us hope, but hope in one person. Not another, only Jesus. This Redeemer, this Redeemer that he's talking about was the one who was going to pay the price. You know, a redeemer would also could be someone who paid the price for a slave's uh, uh, freedom. One who's paid the price or paid the ransom for a kidnapped victim. Jesus had paid the price. 1 Corinthians 6.20, uh, Paul wrote for you, bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Man, we've been bought. We have hope in this one redeemer. Not anybody else, only Jesus. Uh, he might, uh, uh, Job, by faith declares, although the evidence points in another direction, he, he's talking to his friends, he said, even though the evidence might say uh, that what I'm experiencing is because of this guilt you're trying to pronounce upon me, he said, I know that my Redeemer lives. He, he's, he might question everything else, but he, of this he was certain, that it was the faith in God which gave him that certainty, that he had one Redeemer who was going to, uh, who was going to redeem him and had paid the price for his sin. Uh, you know, faith provides us the evidence that we need, even when all the outward signs oppose that conclusion. Faith in what? I'm going to say it's faith in God's word. 
and, and what it's revealed, what's revealed to us. Uh, I, I said this morning how it's easy for me. I, I, can, I can get under the conviction of the devil and, and feel like, well, maybe my salvation isn't genuine. But if I go back to God's word, that gives me such hope and assurance. Because then my hope is not in me. My hope is in the Lord. And he does not fail. The third thing I see is not only do we have hope, but we have assurance. Assurance. Uh, uh, Job's faith, think about his faith. His faith is kind of laughing uh, at, at the impossibilities. and will not talk of, uh, speak to difficulties. Faith is not, it was not conjecture. It's not a, 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 just a mere possibility. His faith was an unchangeable, certain truth. Job had hope. He had faith before. And now he was convinced. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives. He, he's not talking about something that he was uncertain about, that something could undermine. He said, I know that my Redeemer lives. Faith uh, provides a certainty that can't be found anywhere else. We can have assurance. Amen. The word but, I love this. He says, for I know that my Redeemer liveth, and I know that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. Uh, that verse in other, in other uh, translations, in verse 25, it says, but. But, so right here we have it for, okay? But that... That but indicates that there's some, something contrasting to everything that they'd been talking about before. Uh, it's said over and against all the arguments that have been given before, that he was guilty, that he'd fallen into sin. All the dialogue over the suffering, over all his sin, and the blessing and the curse by God is, seen, is to be seen as empty compared to the statement that's about to follow. All of this stuff we've been talking about, all this stuff that y'all have said about me, everything, listen, it doesn't matter because I know my Redeemer lives. I know that my Redeemer lives. I have assurance of that. In the midst of despair, in the midst of all his loss, in the midst of his personal pain and his suffering, Job speaks with hope and assurance. He's not looking at the past, and he's not even looking at the present. He's looking to the future, and he confidently says, I know my Redeemer lives. We see it even more clearly when we break down this, this own sentence. I know my Redeemer. He said, I. He's saying, I know. It's not something that uh, he needed someone to, to assure him of. He knew it. It was a personal knowledge of, of what he is speaking about, something he already knew. This is a, a personal knowledge gained from a living relationship that he had with God. No. I know that my Redeemer, I know. How many of y'all ever said, well, I know something, but you weren't too sure? I'm not going to throw my kids. I'm going to throw my kids a little under the bus here. Kids, uh, kids our boys, they, they t- like to tattle on each other a little bit, don't they? And sometimes they get so convinced that they know exactly what's in their brother's heart. I know what he was trying to do to me. And they get so angry and frustrated. But you know what? After a little bit, a little bit after they calm down a little bit, and they think about the facts, uh, sometimes what they knew wasn't quite as real as they thought it was. But Job knows. Job knows. Job had no, uh, no, question, no reason to question uh, 
what he believed about this Redeemer, that he was alive. And again, that when he says, my Redeemer, it was personal. This is Job's personal Redeemer. Uh, you and I, we have a personal Redeemer in Jesus Christ, as Job did. Job was looking forward a few thousand years or hundreds of years, and we're looking back a couple of thousand years. But we know who he is. We know him by name. We know what he came and did, and, and we know that he lives. We can know a personal Redeemer. And the last thing I'd like to share, and I see in this passage, is pretty much what I preached this morning, is that it's finished. Paid in full. Uh, how many of y'all, uh, we, bought a, we have two cars, and uh, I bought a, a little, that little red car out there after my, my Mini Cooper gave up. The transmission gave up the ghost. I bought that little Mini Cooper, and I, 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 I paid payments on it. I, I, not, I, bought the, I bought the Mazda, excuse me. I bought the Mazda, and I had to pay payments on it. Not a very big payments, not very uh, many payments, but I got it paid off at one point, and I got a letter in the mail. And you know what it said? In many words, you know what it said? <laughs> paid in full. We have some documents in that safe over there talking about how this church, when it was founded back in the early 60s, uh, purchased this property on loan. Do you know that? We borrowed money all that time ago. Man, what were we thinking? I think we were thinking we want to have a church. And so this church borrowed money, but those documents over there, guess what they say? Paid in full. Paid in full. Those are sweet words, but let me, think, let me, let me draw you back to the idea of your, your sin being paid for in full. Man, isn't that a wonderful truth? It's paid in full. And this afternoon, Brother Lester, I've asked Brother Lester to perform the Lord's Supper uh, for us or, 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 or lead the Lord's Supper for us this afternoon. But as we, as we come to observe that Lord's Supper, we're to be reminded of that sacrifice, the payment made on our behalf because of God's love. And if we're sure about anything, let, it be, let us be sure concerning our Redeemer. Help us to be secure in who He is and what He did and that what He did means that our sin is paid in full. John 14, 19. Listen to what Jesus says to his disciples. And these words he's using to comfort them. He says, yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but you see me. Listen what he says. He says, because I live, you shall live also. So we can be sure, we can have such hope, we can... Understand that because my Redeemer lives, what did, what did Job say? He said, uh, and though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see him. He knew that his Redeemer lived, and he knew that he was going to live because of his Redeemer. What about 2 Timothy 1.12? Paul's at the end of his life. He's, he's giving some final instructions to Timothy. He's in jail and facing certain death. And uh, he could have speculated on the time that he was losing, on the mission of evangelism being uh, damaged because he was about to be executed. He could have been complaining a little bit, feeling sorry for himself about his own persecution. But that's not what he chooses to say in, in 2 Timothy. He says in 1 verse 12, he said, For the which cause I also suffer these things. And listen, he says, Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that 
of that which I have committed unto him against that day. So like Paul and like Job, we don't need to worry about the future, for it is in God's hands. We don't have to worry about our circumstances, for it is in God's hands. We don't have to get down about our circumstances, because I know that my Redeemer lives. But Lester, would you come? And Miss Sue is going to come. And I'm going to let Brother Lester just dismiss our service. You know, I asked him to do this because he's my friend, but not just because of that, because I think he knows what he's talking about. And he's a blessing to us.